So, Harry is not here right now because he's buggered off to Wales to enjoy some family time, leaving me to record this intro all on my own, which is actually just a buffer to separate the two halves of our year-end review episode in which we pitched quick-fire sequel, prequel and spin-off ideas for the films we saw in the cinema in 2017. If you're a regular subscriber, hopefully you'll already have heard the first half in which we discussed all the films we saw between January and June, and the second half obviously concerns the films we saw between July and December, except for Star Wars because we recorded this episode before we saw Star Wars. Spoiler warnings apply for all the films we discuss in this episode, however, you should have plenty of time to skip if we get to anything that you haven't gotten around to seeing yet. And you know what? If that's the case, that's your problem, not ours, so deal with it. Other than that, please enjoy the show, and we will be back in early 2018 with a return to our regularly scheduled programming. Bye! Baby Driver. This was fun. It was a really good film. This was a pleasant surprise. Mm, I really enjoyed this. Yeah. This was around the time of my sort of introduction to Edgar Wright. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd seen the Cornetta trilogy before, but I'd never really associated that with all the same director or anything. Mm -hmm. And we watched that just after we did our Scott Pilgrim episode. We did, yeah. It was a... Yeah, I timed that deliberately so we would do that, yeah. Mm. And, uh, yeah... Brilliant, wasn't it? It was. I hope this gets some Oscar nods for not not for acting, but for the visuals. Yeah, this was very well shot. Mm -hmm. It was really fun to look at. It had a great soundtrack, like sound editing, maybe score. Well, the soundtrack was I don't know score. It didn't really have a score, so it had a great soundtrack. Mm, yeah, I don't know if you can get a very well compiled soundtrack. Yeah, I feel like that should be. But like, thing, things like at the start, I, I don't know what the song is, but it starts with a really great song, mm. and. The main character, Baby, is just walking down the street, walks down a series of streets, and all the graffiti and stuff that's in the background is what's actually happening in that song right at that, that second. Yeah, it's like a music video. It's like a yeah. Chemical Brothers. There's a Chemical Brothers music video that does a similar thing. Yeah, it's great. It's really, really nicely done. It's just a great popcorn film. It's a really intelligent, interesting, slightly different popcorn film. Mm -hmm. Not the kind of film I normally go bananas over, but I really super enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. So the plot of this, very quickly, is, yeah, there's the character called Baby, played by... Um, and what's his name? Ansel Engkort? It seems like a random... It seems like someone just threw some gravel pieces onto a table. Yeah. It's like, that's his name. <laughs> it's an Ansel. But anyway, he plays a character who has tinnitus. Mm -hmm. So he always hears like white noise in his head. So his only way to combat that is to constantly listen to music. And his job is he drives a car for mm -hmm. a criminal enterprise. So he's driving all of these criminals while they rob banks and stuff. And his kind of boss is Kevin Spacey. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this was before he was disgraced. But he's getting assigned to all these different gangs. So he works with Jamie... Not Bell, Jamie, Oscar winner. Dornan. No, the guy for the guy who played Ray, the Oscar, Jamie Fox. He drives Jamie Fox. Mm -hmm. He drives John Hamm. He drives. Is there anyone else who's famous? John Burnfall. John Burnfall. Yeah, all of whom play really like scenery cheery kind of villains, mm -hmm. and all have a lot of fun with it, and are great. So he's basically the driver. They go in and rob the banks, and he'll like drive away with them, and he'll be always listening to really fabulous songs while he's driving. And there's lots of like car chasers set to really cool pop songs and rock songs and soul songs. And it's really well done. And then it ends with him, he falls in love with a woman with no personality, which is, again, my one complaint about Edgar Wright is that he can't write women. Mm -hmm. I've said it before. I won't go on my whole rant, but needless I mean, to say, the John, ha John Hamm had a girlfriend that we haven't talked about. True, true, true. Yeah. <laughs> needless to say, the girlfriend has no personality. It's a very thinly drawn character. But whatever, he falls in love with her. And then he wants to get out of the game, obviously. But he gets caught in the classic kind of 
crime movie thing. He gets pulled in for one last one last hit. It goes horribly wrong. He ends up getting blamed. There's a whole shootout, and, and he ends up going to prison. He serves his time, and him and his girlfriend drive off into the distance mm-hmm. some years later. And it's a very thin plot. There's not mm-hmm. much to it plot-wise. But it's just fun and colourful and interesting. Great popcorn film. Lots of fun. Did you have any sequel ideas for this? Um, maybe a prequel. Mm-hmm. Where... I don't know, it's him as a toddler, but he's... Not, <laughs> I was thinking similar. But he's not actually like a toddler. He's like completely self-aware. Mm-hmm. And he's voiced by Alec Guinness. So I'm crossing it over with Boss Baby. The boss Baby, yes. <laughs> we had very similar thought processes. Yeah. I had that too. I had like something like Baby's Day Out, like actual baby driver, like a CGI baby. Like just mm. driving or maybe a real baby and just they use like, you know, they just use clever shots to make it look yeah. like a baby. Yeah. That'd be really <laughs> funny. That, or maybe as a sequel, he decides to take a more sensible job. And he becomes a baby chauffeur. He's literally just a baby driver. He's driving babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and maybe good. he's driving a baby who is the baby of a powerful politician who is, you know, someone's trying to kidnap and mm. ends up having to do like a whole big chase and stuff while not waking this baby. Nice. So all the all the music is like lullabies or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would fall into the trap we talked about in our Krampus episode of it's hard to do films where babies are in danger of death because it's yeah. like, it's too much anxiety. Yeah. But I think this film could get away with it maybe. Sure. Cool. Okay. Um, or, or once again because it's like right same cast but just the cast is based mm-hmm. Simon Pegg is Baby Driver yes yes could work yeah, yeah. yeah that works what's this deal baby full cut same as everyone nah doc I mean is he uh, retarded retarded means slow was he slow no then you don't sound the retarded to me okay uh, next film Spider-Man Homecoming this is okay yeah. This was fine. Only okay? Fine. Only fine? No, it was good. It was good. Like, I'm never going to be as, as excited about these films as you are. This is, you know, I like them. I'm happy to watch them. Mm-hmm. I wasn't bored. I was entertained. I got a few good laughs out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fine. It was a good, solid Marvel film. I think you'll have more to say about this than me. It's good, good to have Spider-Man bouncing off interesting characters. Mm-hmm. Rather than just, I don't know, Gwen Stacy or whoever. Who would you describe as the interesting... Do you mean just as... Is an Iron Man or? Yeah, yeah, to have, to have him bouncing off like Iron Man instead of Emma Stone. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to make sure a better film where you've got a better supporting cast, which the other ones didn't. And they didn't really have original plots either. Mm-hmm. They kept wanting to do Green Goblin plots. Yeah. This was very smart because it made Spider-Man a lot younger. It totally changed the context of Spider-Man. Oh yeah, finally it, actually cast somebody who was almost age-appropriate yeah. in that he looked like he could go to high school, but then there was one point where he said, I'm 15, and I was like, oh, you had yeah. me until you said you were 15. Yeah, you're you, 17 at yeah. yeah. But that being said, I can't remember. I've never seen the Andrew Garfield ones, but the Tobey Maguire ones. Was he supposed to be a teenager in those? He was supposed to be like seventeen. Okay. Yeah. Was the first one? I've seen it, but not for like fifteen years. Was it set in high school? Mm. I can't remember any of that at all. Yeah, it was awful. Okay, this but one awful for that. Yeah, well, this one felt like an authentic like teen. Yeah, well, they spent more time in high school than actually felt like a high school, as opposed to the other one, which was twenty-five-year-old at best going on a school trip. Yeah. To like a museum or something and. Everybody's bored and Flash Thompson's bullying Peter Parker and so then he goes off by himself and gets bitten by a spider. Mm-hmm. I, I was really pleased that this one skipped the origin story. Yeah, it was a very smart move. Yeah, it was like, we know how it happens. Yeah. Let's just skip the preamble, get to the fun. And yeah, I'd not seen a one of these films that really felt like it actually was a teen movie mm-hmm. and a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I appreciated that. Like That was fun. I loved Michael Keaton. Yeah, he, he was, was a, great. He was a really good villain. And I'm glad they didn't kill him, which is what Marvel generally do with their villains, because yeah, they yeah. can actually bring this guy back. Mm. And I feel like maybe it was I was just stupid and I should have seen it coming, but I, the bit where he turns around and you realise who he is, mm. the reveal, wait, is it... Because he's... So obviously it's Spider-Man. You know what the plot of Spider-Man is. Anyone listening to this knows what Spider-Man is. But it's Spider-Man, high school movie. He has a girlfriend. He likes a girl. He likes a girl. He has a crush on a girl, sorry. 
and he goes to meet her dad. He goes to pick her up for prom. That's it, yeah. And her dad is Probably. driving them, yeah. played by Michael Keaton. And then he turns around and there's a big reveal where the dad reveals that he's also the villain that Spider-Man has been chasing this whole movie. Well, we knew that as soon as he opened the door and we're like, oh, it's him. That's... Oh yeah, because we'd seen him, yeah. So the scene where we realise and, then, that's it, and then it's the scene where the, the girl starts talking about the last action scene, which is in Washington or something, and some things that she says kind of gives away that Peter Parker is essentially Spider-Man. Yeah. Not that she knows, but her dad's got the other half of the information that he can piece together. Yeah. And so just, it, all, it all comes together. The dad stops outside the school, says, right, you go in, I'm going to go give him the talk, you know, the dad <laughs> talk, and then just says, look, you saved my daughter, so I'm not going to kill you, but if you do anything else, then I'm going to kill you. It's good. It's really chilling. Michael it's Keaton. Really chilling. Michael Keaton does it really well. He saw that movie. It's a yeah. He made it work. It was a real like oh shit. And I think the what was the kid called who played the Peter Parker? Tom Holland. Tom Holland. He did really well. Mm. As I say, he looked much more like a teenager than Tobey Maguire ever has, mm-hmm. even in his teens, I think. <laughs> and yeah, it was fun. He had the comedic timing down pat. Mm. I would say probably my favorite comic books movie I've watched this year. Solid. Yeah, of the, out right. of the DC Marvel universe, like, I, I enjoyed this a touch more than Wonder Woman. I felt it was better paced a little bit. All right, well, I've done the other comic book movies, so how would you sequelize this one? Well, there's going to be a sequel, I presume, at some point to this. Like a real yeah, one. but like, yeah, what, no, would, I know. what would you do, not knowing anything about the universe? Uh, I would like to see maybe a... So maybe the next one picks up when he is graduating and he goes to university. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's... I don't really know what the main Spider-Man villains are. It's not really a franchise I've followed that much, so I don't know a lot about it. But... Well, you've got the Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. You've got Dr. Octopus. Yeah. You've got Sandman, mm-hmm. guy who can just turn into sand and be big or small or whatever. Mm. You've got Venom, who is like a, an alien symbiote version of Spider-Man, who's just essentially Spider-Man, but wears a black suit. Okay. you got to... Uh... Actually, you know what? I don't care. Uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, no, I was just listening to you. I don't care. I'm going to start saying that in the middle of your conversations. <laughs> I don't mean I don't... Sorry, that was rude. What I mean is I'm not going to go down that route. He didn't shag anyone in this film did he nope no he didn't so I'm going to do a sequel where he goes to college and it's just going to be a, like an American Pie style sex comedy of Spider-Man mm-hmm. trying to get laid mm-hmm. and there's no villains there's no peril there's no world saving nothing none of mm-hmm. that it's literally just Spider-Man trying to get laid and maybe like there's a funny scene where he's like you know getting really hot and heavy with some hot girl that he's really into mm-hmm. and then his webs fly out and he's like oh that never happens to me I'm so sorry like, <laughs> <laughs> that's really embarrassing like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that's what I want. American Pie meets Spider Man. Sure. Yeah, I like. Maybe it. lots of like teen Marvel people all come together. Like, are there any other young Marvel people that you'd just be like? No, I'm thinking like the cast of American Pie, but with he's, superheroes. Yeah, like. he's the only young one. He's the only one that's vaguely that age. Fair enough. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay. What was that? Dad, nothing. Nothing. You're the Spider Man from YouTube. I'm not. On the ceiling. What was it? Ned, what are you doing in my room? Well, let me in. You said we're gonna finish a Death Star. She doesn't know. Nobody knows. Well, I mean, Mr. Stark knows because he made my suit, but that's it. Well, Tony Stark made you that? Are you an Avenger? Yeah, basically. Next, Worf the Planet of the Apes. Worf the Planet of the Apes? War for, oh, War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Well, there's some Klingons involved. I was like, what? Um... Worf and the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I enjoyed this. Although I had watched all three Planet of the Apes films this year, so I was in the right headspace. I think you'd seen the first two like years before. And yeah, which I think the filmmakers knew that's how most people were, because it started, if you remember, with that text that mm. said, like, the dawn of the Planet of the Apes was where this happened, oh. essentially, and the dawn was in, like, red. And then it was followed by the rise of the Planet of the Apes, which is where this bit happened. That that did annoy me a lot. That really <laughs> pissed me off, yeah. It was so on the nose. The, yeah, the, the preamble was so on the nose. 
So this is the third and final, presumably, part yeah. of this Plant Leaves trilogy, which I only caught up with this year because I knew this one was coming out, so I watched the previous two. Yeah, so this one finds... Is, is Andy Serkis who plays mm-hmm. him? Yeah. Who? So good. Like, when is yeah. Andy Serkis going to win an Oscar for these kind of performances? People have been so, asking that for years. It's, it only feels like because he makes comic book films and fantasy films, mm. and you don't see his face. The Ape Storms regularly win a lot of technical awards. Yeah, but they never win. Yeah, they never win acting awards. That's what I'm saying. Like he, as an actor, what he's doing compared to what a lot of actors have to do, mm-hmm. like the physicality and the emotion that he brings, mm-hmm. I think he is. He's not unsung. He's probably at the top of his game, and mm-hmm. there's not a lot of actors who do what he does. But he deserves a lot more recognition. Definitely, for what he, does. Yeah. he is amazing, and he was amazing at this. So yeah, yeah and this all I need for him is a nomination. Don't, don't need him to win. No, just just someone to be like, yeah, just some recognition. Yeah. Just this is this is good. Yeah, I feel like one day he's going to do a film not as a creature, and he's going to like just some straight movie, and he'll probably get an Oscar for it because they'll be like, oh yeah, it's about his time, and I'll be really annoyed because it's like he should have got this for one mm-hmm. of his. I'll be even creatures. annoyed if that happens for. Black Panther, the next Marvel film, because he's in it, not playing a, a oh, CGI is he? character. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, uh, that would be annoying. Hmm. Well, actually, that'd be even more annoying, given that it's almost entirely a black cast, apart from him and Martin Freeman. If he was the only person to win an yeah. Oscar for it, I think mean, I don't think anyone would be happy with that, <laughs> apart from Andy Serkis. But yeah. but yeah, so this is the third one of the trilogy in which the apes, by this point, have kind of got their own civilization. And we assume humankind has been wiped out. They mm-hmm. think humankind has been wiped out, but then it turns out there is a whole there's still barrack. a force and there's, there's still a force different of factions yeah 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 what's his face Woody Harrelson is playing this evil guy who's in charge of this faction which is yeah. not very not very moral at all yes um, and much like the other ones it starts with an uneasy alliance between humans and apes and then it yeah. all devolves very quickly and the apes end up being kidnapped and sold into slave well not sold into slave they, bec- they are enslaved mm-hmm. and there's the one little girl who becomes like the bridge between the two mm-hmm. and yeah, I thought I found this to be very emotional, and it was it was kind of a bit slow and thoughtful, I felt, which yeah, is the thing was. with the Planet of the Apes films have is that they're not action packed to the same degree. It's they're kind of walking that hard line between like a comic book film or you know a, you know or mm-hmm. a, a blot a popcorn film, but also having something quite serious to say and being quite serious and yeah. Know. So I don't think it's like one of my favorite films of the year, but I thought for what it was, it was it was nice and it was well acted, and there were parts of it that were a bit sad, and the score was really nice. Mm. Yeah, hard to sequelise because this is literally the end of a franchise. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like it ends with here. It ends with Andy Serkis's character in the arms of the other ape, the big one. He's completed his life's work. The apes are now liberated, and he just dies as the sun rises, and it's just very sad and emotional. And... Well, I've got a very, I say obvious because it's not obvious. Mm. I don't know if this has been done. Stop me if it has. But do the entire thing as a stage show. How do you mean? Just do it. Do it as a play. Oh, okay. So it's not a sequel as much as just it's tra- it's gone to Broadway. Yeah. Like in the Simpsons episode, where it's like, I hate every ape that I can see from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Oh, no. <laughs> You've not seen that episode? I don't, I don't mean like as a musical, like as a series okay. production. Okay, sure, yeah, yeah. I know what yeah. I mean. It did, look a bit, it did feel a bit stagey because everyone was being like very, everyone was like acting with a capital A. Mm. So I can see what you mean. That could work, yeah. I like that. That's good. That's all I got for that. Yeah, yes, no, can... yeah just take it to the stage, yeah. Um, yeah, I, can, I, I reckon that would suit the stage quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure, let's just go with that. Move on. Cool, okay. It is my hope that out of this solemn occasion, a better world will emerge out of the blood and carnage of the past. A world founded upon faith and understanding. A world dedicated to the wish 
freedom, tolerance, and justice. Dunkirk. Oof. Well, this was great. Really yes. good. Really great cinematic mm-hmm. experience. Great film. This is Christopher Nolan doing... Christopher Nolan. Doing Christopher Nolan, doing the Battle of Dunkirk between Britain and the Germans. We're trying to evacuate the British forces off the breaches of Dunkirk, a very famous moment in history in which Britain, after a crushing defeat, managed to evacuate a huge amount of soldiers from the beaches of Dunkirk, British soldiers, who would otherwise have been killed or taken prisoner. It wasn't a victory, but it was a very important moment in World War II and a very important moment in British history. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of multiple timelines because it's Christopher Nolan and you can't just tell a straight story. You've got a lot of really good actors. You've got... Um, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. You've got Mark Rylance. Mark, Mark Rylance is the one I was thinking of, yeah. You've got Cassillian Murphy. Cassillian Murphy. <laughs> you uh, have Harry Styles. You do have Harry Styles in this film, who was... Not awful. Not awful. I was expecting to like cringe. Like Ed yeah. she- I-, I thought it was going to be like Ed Sheeran in Game of Thrones. Oh my God. But no, <laughs> he was fine. Like He did his job. Cast he wasn't him in distra- the next Pirates movie. He wasn't distracting. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, how do you sequelize this, though? Because like, it's a real moment in history, and the, I don't think it's very character-driven. Like The characters were good. Like, Mark Rylance's character, I remember the most strongly, as being a really interesting, strong character. Well, you could do Dunkirk meets Pirates of the Caribbean. How so? There's some stuff all on the sea. sea. <laughs> I guess, maybe? I don't know. So, or- like, the Battle of Dunkirk, and it's all really super serious, and then suddenly, like, Captain Jack Sparrow comes sailing through from... Yeah, and, like, maybe there's some sort of super-powered... Perhaps sort of Caribbean villain, mm-hmm. you know, where everybody's got a thing. Um, and this one's essentially Moses, and he just parts the sea, and then they all just walk across. <laughs> very historically accurate. Very <laughs> respectful, yeah. Like. <laughs> or, or uh, I've already got title only, Dunkirk 2, Lost in New York. Okay. Just because just any secret. Now, now, now they're in New York. Why are they in New York? I don't know, they're lost. They're lost. <laughs> they took a wrong turn on the way to Calais, <laughs> on the way to Dunkirk, ended up in New York. It's like, I'm sure we should have been there six months ago. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe one boat took a wrong turn, yeah. lost all sense of space and time. You know, it should take like, what, two days to get from Dover to Calais or whatever oh, it is? Much less than that. Even probably less, probably like maybe 12 hours. But they take a wrong turn, end up landing in New York. Like, oh, we missed the whole war. What a shame. Mm-hmm. Love it. Where are we going? Dunkirk. I'm not going back. There's no hiding from this sun. We have a job to do. Okay, next up, Atomic Blonde. This was fun. It was fun, but a little disappointing. Yeah. I I... Because I was expecting a bit more of a... Not serious, per se, but just something that was a bit more good. I don't know, because this felt sort of ridiculous in a bad way. Yeah, this was good silly fun for me. Yeah, it was definitely a lot yeah. of silly fun. It was the, the plot, I couldn't tell you. Could not tell you. It was lo- it was very silly. Uh, it was so conflict. She what, did she turn out to be like a triple agent or something? Yeah, I think so. She um, was like American pretending to be British, pretending to be American, pretending to be British, but actually she was American. It was she was American. She was pretending to be British, pretending to be German, pretending to be British or something. There was a lot of layers that mm. were really hard to follow. Yeah. What was that film? <laughs> it was a very odd film. I, I just think this is the kind of film that only a star can make work, and Charlize Theron made it work because she's she really committed to it. And, mm-hmm. I mean, my main memory of this film is just thinking, oh, so you're Joanna Lumley and absolutely fabulous. Atomic Blonde is Patsy, mm-hmm. like because she was hard drinking, she was very British, mm-hmm. she was constantly smoking in a really glamorous looking way. Mm-hmm. It was just yeah, it was just Joanna Lumley with martial arts skills, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed that one fight scene that went on forever. It was like the the chicken scene in Family Guy. Like. Yeah. 
Oh god, that, yeah, that did go on for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> like even with it was really like that Family Guy running joke where she was like covered in blood and she was like hyperventilating and then they, mm-hmm. they carry on. So yeah, I mean we've been summarising the plots, but I don't think I can with this. Like she's some kind of spy. We'll sequelise it then. Yeah. Um, well, the main thing for this film for me is that it had a fabulous eighties soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Was it set in the eighties? The wall came down. Oh shit! It was set in the eighties. Oh, that ruins it for me then. My my sequel was going to be a prequel set in the eighties when she's like in the discos dancing to all the eighties mm-hmm. songs. Maybe it's like a midquel. Sure. Or prequel earlier eighties. I don't know. I just I just want her to be like clubbing. I, I want to follow that character while she just goes to a bunch of clubs and has fun and sleeps around and dances to lots of fabulous eighties music. Or maybe oh okay maybe seventies music then. Maybe this was so eighties. Maybe the prequel is that character a little bit younger. Charlize Theron can play younger. I would. So I have a series of films where she is playing a different nationality each time. Okay. Ooh. With a different wig each time. Yes. Of course. On board. On board. So, Atomic Brunette. Yeah. Atomic Redhead. Mm-hmm. And they're all set at different moments in history. Mm-hmm. Maybe they cross over with our, our, our little trio. Yeah. <laughs> Fab. <laughs> or it's a story about how a Scouse girl joins a popular girl band around the 1999-2000 mark. And ends up having many hits and takes over the world. It's called Atomic Kitten. <laughs> All right. All right, we're done. <laughs> yeah. So what have I learned after all this time? After all those sleepless nights? Lying to friends, lovers, myself. Playing this crooked game in this crooked town filled with backstabbers and four-faced liars. I'll tell you what I've learned. One thing and one thing only. I fucking love Berlin! This was a good fun film. Great. The Hitman's Bodyguard. This was a good fun film. This was... This may be... This, this, was, this was utter... Utter poo. This may be the <laughs> stupidest film we saw all year. So stupid, but... But it was good it. because it knew it. It, yeah. knew, it knew that it was being stupid, and so... It cast Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson. Yes, exactly. Two actors who can really work a stupid film. Mm, and yeah. really commit, yeah. I had a lot of fun with this. Mm-hmm. That said, I can't think of a sequel, so... Okay, so those two are back. Samuel L. Jackson, he, he, he's the hitman, right? Yeah. So he's been asked to take out somebody who Ryan Reynolds has been asked to protect. Oh, okay. So they're against each other now. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Who would you cast that person as? Ooh, okay. Somebody who can also play a little bit crazy. Maybe they're in on the whole thing. Winona Ryder? Sure. Oh, John C. Riley. John C. Riley. John C. Riley. Yeah. yeah. Winona Ryder's the wrong, the wrong kind of crazy. Yeah, person. she's more intense crazy. Yeah. Now. Okay, so yeah, so John C. Riley is the target in this, but it turns out maybe he's the mastermind all along, and all he's trying to do is actually split those two apart because he mm. sees him as some kind of threat. Yeah. Or something. Oh, remember how Gary Oldman was in this playing the president of Belarus? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so random. <laughs> That was a good Gary Oldman. That, that was re- that was classic scenery chewing, heavy thicker Eastern European accent, Gary Oldman. Oh, actually, I did have an idea for this, which was: Do you remember how Samuel L. Jackson's character was married to Salma Hayek, mm-hmm. who clearly shot her own scenes completely separately and yes. had no interaction with anyone else? Yes. And she was like foul mouthed and like really violent, and mm-hmm. she made that one woman stand in the corner the whole time, and mm-hmm. it was like it was funny and silly. And it ends with those two meeting up together in a bar and just kicking ass together. Mm-hmm. And it's like great fun. So maybe what we want to see is uh, yeah. Samuel L. and Sama Hayek, he gets out of prison after the events of the first film and they reunite and they go on, just go on like a road trip slash cram spree. And it's just those two kicking mm-hmm. ass, taking names, yeah. being fab. Yeah, you know? I like it. Good. Cool. I like it. I hope they kill him. I really do. Uh, okay. Even if I did save him again, 
know what he'd say? He'd say that I had it all figured out before you got here. He'd say, uh, I guess my thing just better than your thing, motherfucker. I guess bullets are just allergic to me, motherfucker. This guy single-handedly ruined the word motherfucker. Do you know how hard that is to do? All right, the next one, The Big Sick. Oh, this is one of mine. Yeah. This is something I saw on my own because it got really good reviews, but I think you were traveling at the time, so you weren't around. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to see it. It was only in cinemas for like a week, so I was like, I'll just, it was like a night. I had nothing to do. I was like, I'll go see this film. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this was a nice little indie, American indie comedy about a guy who, it's based on a true story. It's about a guy who meets a girl, goes on a few dates with her, and then they, he really likes her, they like each other, but then they kind of break up a little bit. And then the, the night they break up, she has some kind of accident and goes into a coma. Right. But as, I think as far as his family knows, they're still together. Mm-hmm. So he finds out about it. He goes to the hospital and he, he kind of takes care of her and stuff. And then he kind of bonds with this this girl's parents mm-hmm. while she's in this life or death situation. It takes place over several weeks. And he lets his, her parents stay at his flat and stuff. And it's just a nice, it was a nice, funny little indie like sure. film. It was, it was, it was sweet. Who it's nice. It? Kumal Nanjiani is the main actor. He's in the he's in that show about Apple. Is it Apple Silicon Valley? He's in Silicon Valley. You probably know his face. Uh, him and Holly Hunter and Ray Romano. Um, sure. Yeah, I can tell these these names mean nothing to you. But uh, yes, yeah. This might get like a best screenplay kind of thing at the Oscars. If so, I'd recommend watching it. It's sweet. It's funny. It's not mind blowing, but it's a nice, well written, interesting film. I guess the sequel to this would be well. So the end of the film is that she wakes up from the coma. And then she's like, oh, the other thing is he's a stand-up comedian because he's based on his own life. This Kumal Nanjiani is a, stand- a, a popular American stand-up comedian. Okay. So he's playing a version of himself. And this is a real thing that happened to him with his actual now wife. Right. So the film concludes with basically she wakes up from her coma and he's like, I've been looking after you with your parents this whole time and I've realised that I'm still in love with you and I'm really sorry I broke up, etc. There's a lot of stuff because he's Pakistani-American. So there's a, there's a whole thread of it being they break up because he's his parents want him to be dating or to marry another Pakistani. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't feel the same way, obviously. But then he, so he keeps her, because she's white, he keeps her secret from his family. And then she gets really offended by that. And that's why they break up. Mm-hmm. So basically, while she's in a coma, he realizes it was a stupid reason to break up. And he feels really bad. And he realizes he does really care about her. She wakes up and he's like, yeah, I'm, for the past like month or something, I've been sitting by your bedside and I've realized I'm still in love with you and I really want to make another go of it. And she was like, that's a shame, but I've been asleep the whole time, and you know, I'm I'm sorry you've been. This is like verbatim. It's like, I'm really sorry you've been through this experience. I'm sure it was very meaningful for you, but it means nothing to me. Mm-hmm. Like the last thing I remember is that you were a dick, and I don't really want to get back with you. Mm-hmm. And then, but then the film ends with so he, he goes, he moves to New York from LA or something. Takes his stand up career takes off, and then she ends up going to one of his gigs and like heckling him, mm-hmm. and then their eyes meet across the room, and then in real life they end up getting married and then so the film ends on this like sweet little hopeful note of them mm-hmm. like reconnecting it's, okay, it's, a, yeah. it's a very sweet little story it's nice. nice it's a nice song I think you'd like it it's a good film yeah. so yeah sequel wise maybe it's like a meta thing where it picks up after the film is after he's become like a, a famous person because subsequently he became a famous person and yeah maybe it's about how their relationship goes maybe just picking up again because they were nice characters maybe mm-hmm. just like it's just simple as Pick it up again. How did how did they go from that to getting married? And you know how do they navigate writing? Maybe it's like the disaster artist. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's about the making of the film about their lives. Because he, he said in interviews like the film is obviously a very concise version, a very Hollywood version of what actually happened. The real story, be, he said, would be far too boring to make a film. Yeah. Whereas obviously they've squeezed it down into several significant events and made that the film. 
some of it didn't happen, some of it did. So yeah, maybe the sequel is them writing the film about their love story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's about how it gets made into a hit movie that is quite successful. And yeah, I think it might, it's not going to get a lot of Oscars, but it might get something like screenplay, I think. It might be in the mix just for a couple, but yeah. yeah. So maybe, yeah, I think it, a, a nice non-jokey version of The Disaster Artist. The Disaster Artist for a film that people didn't hate. Yeah, yeah sure, I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should watch that. It's a good film. Hi. Hi. Um, my name's Kamel. <laughs> yeah, we know. Yeah, we saw you before. Now that the niceties are out of the way, um, I have to tell you that when you yelled at me, it really threw me off, and uh, you really shouldn't heckle comedians. It's so rude. I didn't heckle you. I just woohooed you. It's- Supportive. Okay, that's a common misconception. Uh-huh. Yelling anything at a comedian is considered heckling. Heckling doesn't have to be negative. So if I if I yelled out like, "You're amazing in bed," <laughs> that'd be a heckle. Yeah, or be an accurate heckle. Cool. <sighs> Come on, we're nearly there. I don't want to do this nervous one. Oh dear, what is it? I know what it is. Is it Detroit? Yeah. It is. <laughs> oh, Detroit. Oh God. Detroit, Detroit, Detroit. <laughs> Oh, the most unhappy film yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, this the yeah, this is one of the. I remember we had a conversation like this. I think this is an important film. I think it's a really of course yeah. in, 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 right now it's an important you know, it, it's really well acted and well made and it's very engaging mm. mostly. But God, it's so depressing and I, I was really thinking like, on what level did I enjoy this? Like I feel educated by it and I feel like I'm better for having seen it. But it was really not a film that I enjoyed. Just because it was so depressing. But saying that, I wouldn't not I wouldn't uh, tell anybody to avoid it. Oh, absolutely, se, absolutely. Because, like we've both said, it is very educational, and I think that the fact that it is very grim and unhappy is probably quite telling. Of, well, I'm sure it was aimed to be like that. So, yeah, oh, it wasn't so aimed to be a happy film. Yeah, the briefest of experience of what it was actually like for yeah. for people of color in Detroit at that time. Absolutely, yeah. <sighs> but it was just so bleak, yeah. So how would you sequelize it? <laughs> so my only thought with this is that it tell one of the many plot strands. So this is a film. Is it set in the fifties, the sixties, sixties, isn't it? I, I'm not sure. I think it was sixties. So it follows a, a group of characters. It's kind of an ensemble film. It's a lot of characters who are all gathered on this night of the, some riots that happened in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Most of them black, obviously, and then a lot of them get, end up being trapped in this hotel that they have to be staying. Is it a hotel that they're staying at? Uh, a, a motel, but yeah, a motel, yeah, yeah. They end up in this motel, and it goes on. Lo- it's like curfew. It goes on lockdown, and then the police. Some somebody shoots a police officer. Somebody shoots a fake gun at a police officer, don't they? Somebody shoots a fake gun out of a window, yeah, far enough away that the, nobody can see who it was or yeah. anything. And then the police storm in, and this is all based on a true story. The police storm in, and a bunch of the characters get killed, basically, mm-hmm. and the rest are being really brutally interrogated, mm-hmm. trying to find out who owns the gun, and it just spirals out of control, and every character realises that it's gone too far, and even, to save face... E- e- even the white cops... Even the white cops realise, like, but to one, save face... One, they one by to. one, sort of department by department, like the army of, of the first go, like, we have no part of this, and just leave. Yeah. And then, like, there's... like. I think there's still two kinds of cops there, I think. I'm not sure. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe I'm going too far with that, but yeah. Yeah, well, there's the one cop who's actually a villain who's like a, who's really really mm. just un, unforgivably evil and there's other ones who's smart kind of, as well and he's smart and he's yeah he's very he's very and then there's others who are like complicit in it but he's the main like ringleader if you would i would say so that all happens but there's there's other plot lines going on so one of the characters is part of a band called the dramatics which is a real life very successful r&b group mm-hmm. and i believe the story ends with him 
leaving the dramatics because he's so traumatized by this experience that the band goes on to great success but he misses out on that and again it's a true story it's very sad i think he died in obscurity or something so yeah my the only sequel i could think of this would be a, a more inspiring story maybe like to show that you know people can triumph over adversity mm. just to follow the band the dramatics who mm-hmm. went on to have lots of hits they had lots of hits in the 60s and they went on to be sampled by uh, they did a record with snoop dogg in the 90s so they oh, really yeah. had a long a very long career mm. which sadly i don't think that character from the film detroit was part of but still that's all i could think of for this because mm. it, it, what can you say like there's no way to like be jokey about this film like no. <laughs> without just being horribly offensive. Yeah. So all I could think of was yeah I would like to, I would like to know the story of that band and how they dealt with that situation. Maybe like touch on the same events but from the perspective of this band and then take it forward and talk about how this band rose through that and because mm-hmm. that's always a good story like you know. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all that's all I had for this. I'm not touching anything else for the barge pole. Like. <laughs> yeah. There's there's not much that can be done. There's definitely yeah. not anything that should be done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. All right, next one. Ever so slightly funner. Kingsman 2, The Golden Circle. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this was this was yeah. very different. Very different film. <laughs> very silly. Very very silly. Well, I, re- you... I recently watched Kingsman One actually, and uh, you'd seen it before, though, right? I had, yeah. yeah. I much prefer the first one, I think. Yeah, I think the first one tells us a smaller, more concise story. That's not. I was about to say not world ending, but no, they're both very world ending. Mm. I, I don't know the first one just seemed better. It was better paced. There was more interesting stuff going on where they were going through training, whereas the second one is just like. Right now, everybody's dead. There's just two of you left. Mm. What are you going to do? Yeah, this is a classic example of a sequel where it just gets bigger and stupider. Yeah. And I, I mean, I laughed a lot watching this film. Oh, yeah. I remember like laughing so hard. All the Elton John stuff was hilarious. Mm-hmm. It was just ridiculous. It took itself to like the nth degree. And I think maybe that's that's a valid way of having a sequel. Mm-hmm. But I know what you mean. It was not as clever. The first film was like silly and funny and mm-hmm. ridiculous and also quite clever. Mm-hmm. Whereas this film was just silly. Yeah. But so much, you know... It was like a spoof of itself. Yeah, well, they got a good villain, though. They did get a good villain, Julianne Moore, mm-hmm. yeah. A bit underused, I felt. Could have, could have done with more of it. A but, little, yeah. yeah. But she was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, what would you do with this film? Oh, I don't This know. franchise. Are they going to do a third one? It made money, so... Yeah, I reckon they will. I reckon they will. Well, they introduced the American plotline. Yeah, Channing I wonder Tatum where they can go from that. Obviously, it, they're putting Channing Tatum in the third one, it seems. Yeah. Are, I, are they? Well, well, I don't know. Just from what, it was what happened at the end of number two. Yeah, because he was hardly in the second one. Like, he was set up as to be an important character. In but, like, movies. he was there at the very end, like, in London, wearing yeah. a suit and a bowler hat and looking like an absolute fool. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's, he was introduced as quite an important character, and then he spends most of the film in, like, a coma or something. Yeah. And then, yeah, they wake him up at the end. Well, the one thing I thought about both the first and the second Kingsman films is they did a similar thing. Well, the first film where they killed off Colin Firth mm-hmm. in the first one, and then they bring him back. And in this one, they kill off Mark Strong. And I remember joking to you at the time, like, maybe every sequel is going to be they're going to, like, kill off a major mm. character. And then the next one's like, oh, no, he's not really dead. So maybe, like, the next one is just, like, Mark Strong, not really dead. And how? Yeah. And they bring him back, and there'll be some new mission, and somehow he didn't get blown up. Or maybe he got, maybe he got blown up and then pieced back together. Because this is the kind of film where they wouldn't need to explain that. Well, like a, he could definitely be pieced back together with, like, robotic arms and legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just, like, he's like the Terminator. Yeah. He's just, and it's just 
keep leaning into its ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. They're going to need to have someone even more ridiculous than Elton John. Mm-hmm. Like, who's more ridiculous than Elton John? I mean, we're talking like Boy George. Like Meryl. 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 <laughs> yeah, Meryl's been kidnapped. They've moved on to Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> Meryl playing herself as the worst version of Meryl. Like, is this really pretentious, like, you know, yeah. high maintenance actress is kidnapped for, by some evil super gang for reasons. Mm-hmm. And robotic Terminator Mark Strong and Channing Tatum mm-hmm. and Colin Firth and Taron Edgerton mm-hmm. have to save Meryl Streep and save the world because obviously there's going to be some kind of world ending situation as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you need. Just more of the same, but even sillier. Lovely. I love it. Mm-hmm. We're from the Kingsman Tailor's Shop in London. Maybe you've heard of us. Oh, the Kingsman? Yeah. Huh. That's where y'all got them fine suits and them fancy spectacles y'all got on. Exactly. That's right. Y'all look damn sharp. Let me see if I got it right here. You want me to believe that it's normal for a tailor to hack through an advanced biometric security system with nothing but a little bitty old watch on? This is when he yells, mother. Mother. Oh, oh, mother. <laughs> this is the film I'm the most upset that you didn't see with me. Yeah. We tried, we tried multiple times. The, the timings were never right. And then eventually it was about to leave the cinema. And I was like, I'll just go see it because I want to see it. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw this in an empty cinema screen. I was the only person there, mm-hmm. which turned out to be great because I just laughed myself silly. Mm-hmm. This film is ridiculous. So this film is by Darren Aronofsky, who did... Black Swan and uh, Pie and Requiem for a Dream. Okay. All very intense, serious cinematic films. You've seen yeah. Black Swan, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and it stars Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem <clears throat> as a couple, mm-hmm. which is immediately disgusting. Yeah, what's going on there? Yeah. Like, they do kind of... It's one of those things with... The, it's like you said with... What was the where they explain it, but they don't explain it. Well, you know, they explain uh, Scarlett Johansson being white. Yes. But it's just purely to explain her being white. It doesn't actually serve the plot. Mm. So there's the whole thing where they say, oh, your wife is so much younger than you. And like, yeah, yeah, because she literally looks like his daughter. Like, Javier Bardem is in his, like, I think mid-50s. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Lawrence is, like, 24, 25. And it just looks so weird when they're, like, kissing and mm. stuff. It's just like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, so they're a married couple who've moved into the countryside. He's a famous writer who's, like, blocked trying to write his new book. Kind of similar to The Shining. It's definitely got Shining overtones. I mean, mm-hmm. it's probably inspired a bit. And she's just his wife. And she doesn't seem to have much of her own personality. She's very submissive. And he invites a couple into his home, played by Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay, yeah. And they really become overly familiar and they take advantage of, and they end up taking over the house. And then all these new people start invading the house, essentially. And the husband doesn't seem to care. Javier Bardem doesn't seem to care. He's very, he's like, why would you have a problem with this? And she's like, but it's our home and these people are invading our home and I don't know why you're letting them stay. And then a murder happens in the house and then he disappears and takes the family away to deal with the murder and she's left alone and then all these people invade. And it just goes insane. It's, Typical Darren, if you've seen a Darren Aronofsky film, it's hard to describe the plot because it's all very like symbolic and very, and it's, oh, she's pregnant. That's the other thing. Right. And then she has a baby and there's a very traumatic birth scene and then the baby ends up getting killed and it's just, it's super, super dark, but also super, super silly. And it goes, it becomes very, very campy. And the film ends with the house just being literally torn to shreds by this crowd of people. I think it was supposed to be a metaphor for like creativity, but also something quite biblical. The film ends with her giving him her heart where he literally reaches into her chest and pulls out her beating heart. And then the film ends. It's so <laughs> ludicrous. Wow. Like, yeah. It was just silly, 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 silly. But like, it was also like silly, but also like very artsy and pretentious. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was bad. It, it was it was hard to say whether it was good or bad. It was just kind of just a mess, but like mm-hmm. a, a glorious mess. I laughed a lot. I was very entertained by it. I didn't take it very seriously. I couldn't take it very seriously. 
I don't know what you do to make a sequel. <laughs> really don't know what you do with this at all. Um, Put a heart back in. She needs that. Yeah. I think the only thing you could do is take those characters and... Yeah, because I think this is supposed to be a retelling of the story of creation. Mm-hmm. I think what the idea is that the Earth was the house and that they... I think she was supposed to be the Virgin Mary or something and he was supposed to be like, God? I don't know. So, yeah, maybe what you would do with this is go through some more famous stories of uh, the Bible or something or... This is really hard. It's such a singular film. It's such a, like, I don't know how you would possibly. Like, there's a reason Darren Aronofsky films don't have sequels. Make it a musical? Perfect. Yeah. Same film, same plot, songs. Great. Love it. That'd be really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, when I say musicals, I go like, Mother! Exclamation mark. Mm-hmm. But this film is Mother! Exclamation mark. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mother! All caps! Exclamation mark. And just, yeah. Songs. <laughs> Love it. Scored by Kate Bush. Great. On board. I feel like that's a, that's a little, little tagline of our podcast. Make it a musical. Yeah. Yeah. That can be our first t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Lemonade. Oops. Oh, careful. Thought you might like some. Yes, thank you. Secret family recipe. Which part of the lemons? All right, next one's all me. And Oh, God. I'm, I'm sorry, everybody, but I saw Geostorm. I don't, even, I don't think I'd even know what this was if you hadn't told me about it. Geostorm. Go on. Well, so it's set in the far future of 2019. Don't know why it's only two years in the future. <laughs> the distant future of 2019. Yeah. Given this is a 2017 film, whatever. How did you end up seeing this one? What do you mean? Well, who did you see it with? Just myself. You went on your own? Yeah. Why, but why were you impelled to see it? What was the situation like? Were you just, just bored one I day? Just, I just love disaster movies. Oh, fair enough. Anybody who... Nobody has. Anybody who listens to my other podcast, Two Geeks, Two Movies, our most recent episode is Deep Impact versus Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Every episode we compare two movies that are quite similar. Those two films particularly came out in the same year and are pretty much the same plot. Yeah. But uh, anybody who's listened to that will know that I have a deep found love for any disaster movie. Any movie that the world ends, cities <laughs> get washed away or destroyed or anything. I don't care. The film is perfect. Fair Was this film perfect? perfect? It was perfect. Okay. Tell me why. Well, there's a lot of storms that are happening. um... (laughs) Geostorms, perhaps? (laughs) Uh, No, uh, the weather's gone crazy because of climate change. And so in an attempt to reduce storms from actually happening, like the recent hurricanes have been happening this year, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. In an attempt to reduce that, there's a global satellite system that's been launched. Right. So there's literally a net of satellites around the world all controlled by the International Space Station Mark V. Right, okay. Don't know where Mark 2, 3, and 4 went (laughs) in the last two years. Right, okay. Um, And Gerald Butler is the guy who designed it and built it and everything, and so he's the superstar of of, of the world. Sure. And it is successfully stopping a lot of storms. Okay. But then all of a sudden, twist, (laughs) something goes wrong, and suddenly there are some weird storms happening in weird places. Like, suddenly... This place in Iraq that gets stormed by army troops is the Arctic tundra. And okay. everything's been frozen. There are people that are frozen. You know, very sort of day after tomorrow-esque where people are just freezing, just standing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, there's, there's that. There's hailstorms that happen in places. I think like Shanghai or something suddenly gets to over 100 degrees centigrade, which obviously isn't very good. Mm-hmm. The beach at Rio de Janeiro freezes. So all this happens like overnight? All this starts happening very close together. Not all overnight, but just all quite close together. Sure. And people are like, hmm, well, some, something's up. <laughs> and 
yeah, Joel Butler saves the day, and it's it feels very very much like Gravity. How um, does Joel again, Butler save the day? Reboots the satellite, which oh. flushes out the virus. Oh, okay. That, sure. that, that some person has has placed. Oh, so the, the, all these things aren't happening because of climate change; they're happening because of a virus. They're, yeah, they're happening because of a virus that is going to do this, which is going to kill the president and all the people in line for the president, apart from Ed Harris, who is behind it all. Okay. Uh, in the end, they win, and Ed Harris gets arrested, and happily ever after. Only millions of people dead. It's fine. Sounds great. So, how would you sequelize that then? I would sequelize that by. Well, the main satellite gets destroyed, so there'd definitely be a little bit of a... There'd be a new satellite, International Space Station Mark 6, I guess, mm-hmm. that would not only power this uh, this global net of satellites, but would also act as an interstellar spaceship, so then go and research other planets and see what their weather systems are like to see if there's a better place to live, mm-hmm. so they don't have to rely on an artificial set of satellites to do so. Make it a space movie. Okay. Is Gerald Butler coming back? Or? Of course, Gerald Butler's coming back. He'll be he'll be the captain of it, and I don't know his his brother and his divorced wife. Well, they'll probably be around. Who played the divorced wife? I don't know. No. Just someone. Yeah. Uh, I was going somewhere with that, but I've forgotten. Was it like a Star Trek thing, or? No, I think they're just going to explore new explore new worlds. Maybe crossing over with some sort of alien franchise. Okay, sure. Because they're very much doing that. Are we getting Fassbender in? Yeah, throw him in. Cool. Yeah, because they don't think they can rely on Earth to keep everything down mm-hmm. and uh, yeah that's what they do okay Geostorm in space fantastic Space Storm Geoflares Geoflares don't know what that is but fine S- Space Storm let's go Space Storm Space Storm, fine, space storm. Yeah. okay Project Zeus there are tens of thousands of storm simulations in here and each one is starting in a different place they all end the same way a Geostorm someone has weaponized the global satellite system all right, let's pick it up. Okay. Uh, this one's on you, It. It, yes. Please uh, don't spoil it for me. Oh, no, you need to watch It soon, so there's not much you can do with this, really. Well, you know, it's about a killer clown yep. who kills children. Yep. That's all you need to know, really. Yep. So, obviously, this is the Stephen King novel turned TV miniseries turned movie that was a big mm-hmm. hit this year. It was okay. This was fine. This film was fine. It was mm-hmm. neither here nor there for me. Uh, it had Will from Stranger Things, who I found intensely annoying. Okay. I don't find him annoying in Stranger Things, but in this I found him intensely annoying. Um, Will from Stranger Things. No, no, it wasn't Will, it was Finn. No, Finn Wolfhard, who plays the one who's not Will, the one who's in love with Seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eleven. The one who's in love with Eleven. Seven, Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, blah, 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 fine. It was, very, it was very Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. So maybe the clown teams up with Freddy Krueger. Oh, team ups. Yes, okay. Yeah, like a classic. They did Freddy versus Jason. Mm-hmm. But I felt like Freddy and Jason are different kind of villains. It just felt like just it was an obvious choice. But mm-hmm. actually. Pennywise versus Jason. No, no, Pennywise versus... Freddy. Freddy versus Pennywise. Yeah. Or Freddy and Pennywise, The New Nightmare, where they're mm-hmm. teaming up together in Haunting Kids. That's, that's a good title. Freddy and Pennywise, The New Nightmare. Yeah, sold. Great. That's what I want. Yeah? Yeah. Good team up. Nice, nice. Oh. Hiya, Georgie. What a nice boat. Do you want it back? Um, yes, please. You look like a nice boy. Do you want a balloon to a Georgie? I'm not supposed to take stuff from strangers. Oh, well, I'm Pennywise the dancing clown. Now we aren't strangers, are we? Okay, uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, yes. Uh, Obviously one to skip if you don't want spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, skip this one. Although it's such an old story. Yes, yeah, so this know. is a... Fair enough, yeah. I'd forgotten what the 
plot line was. But so yeah, this is a based on the classic Agatha Christie novel. It's uh, Kenneth Branagh as uh, Hercule Poirot. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole cast of characters, including Michelle Pfeiffer, Judy Dench, Penelope Cruz, um, Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. The guy from was it the, was it the chubby guy from Fantastic Beasts or no no it was the it was the no, chubby it was, guy from, it was J- J- Josh, Josh, Josh Gad from Beauty and the Beast yeah. lots of lots of people in this mm-hmm. uh, and a murder happens and then Hercule Poirot obviously has to in, interview all the other characters while on this very fancy first class uh, train across mm-hmm. Eastern Europe mm-hmm. at one point he's in Bosnia I can't remember where he was heading. Egypt was it? Cairo. It was yeah. strange. Anyway, and then obviously, eventually, he figures out who the murderer. You know, you can explain the plot without telling anyone anything. Any spoilers? To be fair, and he obviously finds the murderer in the end. Yeah, finds out who, who committed the crime, and uh, the film ends. Mm. This film needed to be either fifty percent sillier or fifty percent more serious. Yes, it did. Because there like, were one or two bits that were a little bit silly, mm-hmm. and they worked very well. Yeah, and the serious bits just didn't land. Yeah, it should have just been a full-on camp fest. Mm. It didn't quite know what it wanted to be. So I was a little disappointed. Yeah, serious would have been quite boring, I think. Yeah, should have been sillier. Mm. My favourite bit by far was Michelle Pfeiffer's dramatic wig reveal. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that was great because it was just another wig. Yeah, she just pulls off it. And it, it, it made no difference to the plot yeah. and nobody said anything. It was just like she just sat there completely still. Nobody said anything. She looked dead look in her face. Her face didn't change and she just pulled off her wig and there's another wig underneath. <laughs> and it, it was very much just like Oh. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do have a sequel to this, but it's all title. Okay. So my sequel to this is Murder on the Transpennine Express. <laughs> <laughs> and it's basically the same plot, but instead of being on like a really rich fancy, it's just on a cheap British rail kind of, you know. Leads to Manchester. Really, Leads to Manchester, yeah. So they've only got like 45 minutes to solve it. It's really fast paced, you know. Yeah. No time to spare. And there's about 2,000 people in the space of yeah, this a, living room. There's a bunch of drunk people messing it up, yeah. So yeah that's all I had for that. Drinking Fosters, doing a pub crawl. Yeah. Just obnoxious, yeah. And some dickhead trying to get his bike on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that's me, by the way. That is, that is him, yeah. Yeah, did you have anything for this? Um, wait, so how does Murder on the Transparent Express go? Like the Same same plot. Just so they, 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 they stop the train because we'll get hit by the snow. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. There's, there's lunch, some kind of signal failure between um, Dewsbury and Manchester. Ah, yeah. Between signal Dewsbury failure. and Wakefield. Solid, yeah. yeah, there's a signal failure. Cable's failure between... been stolen or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic. We've all been there. Uh, and then somebody's found dead. I think the plot, again, this would be a good Shaun of the Dead cast one. Like A much more low-rent cast. All with northern accents. All with northern accents, yeah. Just a bunch of low-rent TV actors. Mm-hmm. Maybe James Corden's involved. You know? Of course he is. Yeah. He can get killed. <laughs> he, can, he can be the one who gets killed. Don't want too much James Corden. Yeah, and then Hercule Poirot, played by... Who who would look good in a silly moustache? Who's not as famous as Kenneth Branagh? Josh Whittacombe. Yeah, that could work. Because also he's short. I'm imagining trying to sort of move his way through all the people on the train. Just like, excuse me! And nobody can see him because he's, he, he, he's a bit short. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I think I want Peter Serenefowitz to be on the, uh, involved. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Just, just lots of British people. Just yeah, mm-hmm. that, That's my plot. Just a low-budget British version. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Instead um, of Judy Dench, it's Miriam Margulies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. Sorry. You know who that is, right? No. Uh, the, one who's all, the, the old woman who's always on Graham Norton who's always talking about sex and farting and periods and stuff. You she know. sounds a delight. She's fabulous. Continue. My name is Hercule Poirot, and I am probably the greatest detective in the world. I will speak to all of you in time for the moment. I must recommend that you remain in your compartments with the doors locked. I feel like a prisoner here. It is for your own safety. If there was a murder, then there was a murderer. Next one, Thor Ragnarok. That's all you. 
It's all me. Okay. Well, this one's difficult because it. The third of a trilogy, or the third part of an ongoing franchise. Well, yeah, yeah, but more just that like it slots in very much between Marvel movies, and mm-hmm. unlike Guardians, there's no space to play. Yeah. Yeah, that's a it, it, that's a very difficult one to do. This one I might again say actually do it as as a stage show. Okay. Um, as a comedy stage show because they did kind of do that a little bit, where at one of the screenings they actually got all the actors out, including Kate Blanchett. Oh really? Yeah, they, they got everybody out and they all just acted out the film <laughs> really badly with really bad props just in front of a cinema audience. That sounds fun. Yeah, I'd like to see them actually sort of do that, sort of tour that maybe. Okay. What if uh, did they explode? Because they lost a lot of cast from the first two, right? It was a bit of a reboot almost. There's no Natalie Portman. Is Kat Dennings in this one? Oh, yeah, yeah. They lost all that lot. Yeah. They got rid of all those. So did they explain why all those left? Like, Or was it just like they're not important anymore? I think Natalie Portman left him. Okay. Well, maybe there's like... Maybe <laughs> yeah. they follow their story. That, 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 was, that was their excuse. Yeah. Maybe they do a, series, a film that's not even about four. Maybe it's about that cast of characters and what they did next. Oh, yeah. Sure, that's a good idea. They're doing their Dad of Earth doing scientific research. Don't know what they're finding. Mm-hmm. Probably nothing because there's nothing more that... Marvel need to yeah. <laughs> do their next film. <laughs> yeah, there's something there. Yeah. All right, but that was a good film. Yeah, good. Just, you enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah. Best and, one uh, of the trilogy? Of the Thors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. easily. Cool. Yeah. I did find, I've not seen Thor 2, but Thor 1 was boring, as I mentioned. So. Yeah, Thor 2's boring, not as bad, but not as interesting. Okay. Um, not really much happens. Whereas this one is just flat out comedy. They okay. decided to just completely change it. Good move. Okay. Because. The last two, they just didn't go down so well, so they did something different. Yeah. And it worked. Well, it clearly worked. Made a lot of money. Got good reviews. Yeah. yeah. Cool. In any case, you know this, uh, this, uh, you call yourself Lord of Thunder. God of Thunder. <laughs> I have never met this man in my life. He's my brother. Adopted. Is he any kind of a fighter? <laughs> you take this thing out of my neck and I'll show you. Oh, listen to that. He's threatening me. Hey, Sparkles, here's the deal. If you want to get back to Ass uh, Place, Asberg. As God. Any contender who defeats my champion, their freedom they shall win. Fine, then point me in the direction of whoever's ass I have to kick. All right, nearly there, nearly there. Oh, I thought we were done with comic books. Justice League. Oh, this is you again. Oh, oh you've not seen it. Oh, God damn. Yeah. All right, okay. Justice League 2. This film would be directed entirely by Joss Whedon. Okay. As opposed to just the reshoots. Right, sure. And uh, yeah, they do another Justice League story. Maybe this time they'd actually get, what's his name, Darkseid, which is their main villain. Who played Darkseid? Uh, no, that was that's in the upcoming. Oh, okay, sure. If it ever gets made. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of which I would cast Brian Cranston. Good choice. Has he not been used in Marvel or DC yet? No, I don't think so. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah. Hmm. Make a really good... Would he make a good villain? Breaking Bad. Yeah, but I suppose he would be good in like the sort of role that Michael Keaton played. Yeah. Yeah, like a benign but, villain. Yeah, yeah, but as a CGI villain or something, I don't think he's got the voice for it. No, no, I don't want him to be all like muscled up. I think he'd be better as like a sinister kind of, you know. Yeah. Yeah, evil genius kind of villain. Yeah, yeah. evil e- evil drug lord. Yeah, I can <laughs> see that. Yeah. Or like the Michael Keaton sinister dad. Yeah. Okay, so we've got Justice League, directed by Joss Whedon, against an evil drug lord, played by Brian Cranston. Okay. I think that's all we need. That's all we need. One-liners, yeah, cool. That's good. Keep it snappy, okay. Yeah, my review of the film, oof, crikey. Terrible. Yeah. How did that get made? Mm Mm-hmm. But plenty of other people have talked about that on plenty of other podcasts. Yeah. What was the worst thing about it? The worst thing about it? For me, the CGI villain. CGI, how so? Just because it was bad CGI or bad villain? Bad CGI, bad villain, and it was just the same again. Oh, okay. As the like, previous one. Why are you still doing the same again as every other DC villain has been? Oh, okay. Like even Wonder Woman, their best one, was still just a boring CGI villain. 
That's very true. With They've, a little bit of David Thewlis in there. Has there ever been a really iconic DC villain in since the Batman films wound up? Uh, Zod in Man of Steel was played by a human, at least. Yeah. Who played um, Zod? Uh, Michael Shannon. Oh, okay. Cool. He, he, he was good. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he was good, but he's dead now. Okay. And was there a saving grace in Justice League? Was there anything you would pinpoint as? I personally quite liked The Flash. The Flash? Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to The Flash movie. Partially because it's Flashpoint, which means that they are going to be rebooting the universe, potentially. That's how the story goes in the comics. Okay. Which is the perfect time for them to recast anybody. Anybody and everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not naming any... Any, any any names? Batman. Any, any Afflecks, no. <laughs> Not naming any Afflecks, no. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay, yeah, here's the thing. Um, see, I'm afraid of bugs and um, guns and obnoxiously tall people and murder and I can't be here. It's really cool. You guys seem ready to do battle and stuff, but full transparency, I've never done battle. I've just pushed some people and run away. Okay, next one. Two left. Suburbicon. Oh, which I really liked. You weren't so keen. Right. Well, yeah, it it was ridiculous, as yeah. have been many films on this list. But uh, I know I didn't really see where it was going. No, I mean I say I really liked it. I couldn't say it was a good film. It was it was a a, a bad film in many ways. But I've mm-hmm. it was just silly enough for me to enjoy. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of like laughter out of scenes that weren't supposed to be funny. Mm-hmm. And so this is George Clooney directing an old Coen Brothers script that they never picked up. Starring Matt Damon and Julia Moore. Mm-hmm. Julia Moore plays twins, which I'm always on board with, yeah. in different wigs. Yeah. So already, you know, you can see why I enjoyed this. <laughs> so one of whom is, dis- was she disabled? Uh, yes. She was, yes. Uh, so Matt Damon's married to the disabled Julia Moore. And then some robbers break into their house. And the other Julia Moore is her sister, obviously. They're, they're playing sisters. Disabled Julia Moore is killed by the robbers. Mm-hmm. We presume accidentally, because they're being um, chloroformed. And then it turns out that Matt Damon and other Julianne Moore were behind it the whole time and they paid the robbers to do it. And then there's just a lot of people, the net, the net is closing in on them, basically. They have a son mm-hmm. and he starts to suspect a little bit. Oscar Isaac shows up for one scene to choose some scenery and get murdered. Mm-hmm. Like, just basically beg to be murdered and get murdered. Mm-hmm. It's just silly. If you like silly, stupid, like big actors doing roles that are beneath them, then they're just, they're just silly films. There's also a subplot with a black family moving into it's, a white neighbourhood. It's really not explored at all. It's really tacked on. Yeah, yeah what's that about? <laughs> I felt like that almost ruined the film because it was like a, trying to attach a serious plot to a very silly movie. Yeah. Obviously, that plot was there to make a serious point about like racism in, in the 60s and stuff. But it didn't make a point. It didn't make any point, And it just like distracted from the ridiculously camp plotline with the other characters. So all I could think of with this was that that poor kid goes through it. Like his dad murders his mum, mm-hmm. then sleeps with his auntie, mm-hmm. who is then also murdered. Mm-hmm. His uncle comes to save him, is stabbed and then murdered in, in pretty much in front of him. Mm-hmm. And then his dad tells him he's going to kill him. Mm-hmm. But then, thankfully, his dad eats poison and drops dead on the table in front of him. Yes. As you can see, this is a, hear from this, this is a very silly film. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I feel like a sequel should be uh, where that kid grows up to be Hannibal Lecter. Solid. He just becomes a psychopath. Solid. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we ever got a Hannibal Lecter origin story, but yeah. Because that kid has such a traumatic time of it. Mm-hmm. that Yeah. The sequel is, surprise, he's Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, that works really well. Yeah. It's all a good thing, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. Or some other Coen Brothers films, but I couldn't say which one. Yeah. Right now, your path looks pretty bleak. Your ma's dead. Nikki, we've decided it'd be best if your auntie came and stayed for a while. Mr. Dodge, I have the police department. Tell them I'm not in. You're on speaker, sir. Okay, so the disaster artist. 
Great. What a high. We what? finished the year on a high. Yeah. I mean, we're about to go see Star Wars, but uh, yeah. we're not including that. Which I'm scene hoping is going to be a high. But yeah. Like, yeah, The Disaster Artist. I loved it. Did you like it? Yeah, it was great. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I didn't like about it was that at the end it didn't say produced, directed, and starring James Franco. Yeah. Why? <laughs> what? Why? Why? It should have had the free title cards from the beginning. And yeah. It should have been more, but yeah. It would have been... Yeah. So this is James Franco writing, directing, and starring in a film about the making of The Room, which is famously one of the worst films ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a cult classic. It came out in 2003. It was written, directed, and starred a guy called Tommy Wiseau, who is a mysterious figure who uh, is of ambiguous European descent, mm-hmm. of ambiguous age, and of ambiguous financial status. Yeah. No one knows where he got his money from. But he made this film. It was a huge vanity project. And his co-star and best friend, Greg Sestero, wrote a book about the making of the film called The Disaster Artist. And... Um, it was the inspiration of this mm. and yeah this was this was obviously made with so much love for The Room yeah, we've done an episode on The Room which is one of my favourite episodes we've done just a lot of fun to do great film to watch uh, it was just yeah it was just a real love letter to a cult classic film and the acting was great James Franco was really good as Tommy Wiseau lots of really fun cameos Sharon Stone's in it in a ridiculous wig for one scene for no reason Melanie Griffith's in it the guy from La La Land and Whiplash who won the Oscar uh, you know you like him J.K. Simmons is in it. Yeah. Um, being in it. He was in. He played like a drama teacher in one scene. Jude Apatow plays himself. Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston plays himself. Seth Rogen is in it. The entire trio from the How Did This Get Made podcast are in it. Mm-hmm. It's just great. It's fabulous. Mm. Uh, really, really liked it. Laughed so hard. It paid homage to all my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real high point. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree on all of that. Great. The only sequel I can think of is the obvious one, which is not really a sequel, but uh, How Did the Disaster Artists Get Made mm. film. Yeah. I feel like Tommy Wiseau going to the Oscars is a movie in itself. So I had the same Oh, film. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this film has already been nominated for a few Golden Globes, James mm-hmm. Franco. So it looks like it might be in the Oscars at some point, but it's, it's doing really well. It's making money. It's been a hit. It's been very well reviewed. Mm-hmm. So this really terribly reviewed film is becoming like suddenly this mainstream Hollywood success. I feel like, yeah, the journey from the ruins to the disaster artist is so interesting. I think it's his own film. Yeah. I'd like to watch that film. I'd like to see something where they proper go into the depths of how they made the disaster artist mm. and then where they go from there. And so they're sort of going three films deep. And then at some point near the end of that film, whoever's playing James Franco, mm. who'd he cast as James Franco? Oh, that's hard. Well, Dave Franco's already in this. So you yeah. Can't him. Um, I don't know. Who would play James Franco? Okay, let's, ca- let's cast both the Francos as the two famous Hemsworths. Okay. Just for the sake of brothers. I yeah, guess. sure. And so at the end of this disaster artist, 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 <laughs> yeah, it gets to the end. And then we come in and we see there's another film happening, which is how did the disaster artist, artist get made? <laughs> and it just becomes meta and more and meta. And so then we meet some characters who are playing the Hemsworths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing the Francos. Playing oh my God, it just spirals and spirals. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Love it. It's good. Mm-hmm. Let's go, let's go, Sandy, come right, on. All right, let's uh, roll. Let's Set, yeah, we're rolling. ready, Camera has and action. What line? What did line? I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Okay. Great, well, that's that. Okay. Uh, one out. So... What I want you to pick your first, your top three favorite films from that list that we've yeah. seen together this year, or that you've seen this year, it doesn't have to be all, all with me. Okay, well, I can't really pick a top three, but I can do a top four for you. Sure, that? sure, sure, go for it. Okay, so I think Get Out is my number four. Okay, 
Or you could say number, num- number like joint three. third. Well, you could say number three and then joint number two. I'm having as Spider-Man and Thor. Okay, cool. Just as the two best comic book films you've seen this year. Well, no, I think they're just equally the number two best film I've seen this year. Okay, sure. Um, number one being Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Cool, good choice. Mm. And what is your worst film of that list you've seen this year? Ooh. As in worst film that I knew was a bad film or film that I had the least fun with? Whatever you, whatever you choose to define your worst film as. I had the least fun watching Ghost in the Shell. Okay. But I think the worst film I watched was probably Pirates of the Caribbean 5. Fair, fair, fair. Okay. Just of, of all the, the actors they got in doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Uh, okay, so my joint third place would be between L and Dunkirk. Okay, yeah. Yeah, both sure. of which are just very interesting in very different ways. I think I'd be more in a rush to watch L again, but mm-hmm. I think Dunkirk was an amazing cinematic achievement. It was mm-hmm. just really, really, yeah, just a, a great film and I hope we'll pick up a lot of awards. Yeah, um, my number two was uh, The Disaster Artist. Maybe a little bit sure. too soon to say. It might drop down over time, but mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun with it. It flew by. It was a real love letter to a film that I really like anyway. Mm-hmm. Great performances. Just great, great fun. Yeah. And my number one would be uh, Get Out, which I just thought sure. was amazing. Yeah. I saw it twice in the cinema. Mm-hmm. It was really entertaining, really thought-provoking. It just it did everything you want a film to do. It made me laugh, it made me think, it made me scared, it made me jump. It was just brilliant. Really well-done film. So loved, loved, loved it. So, yeah. Number one. Good one. And my worst film of the year, I think, would probably be The Mummy. The Mummy. Just really, there was very little to redeem in that film. <sighs> Not even Russell Crowe? Although I suppose Russell Crowe was, there was more, Russell Crowe gave me more in like his five, ten minutes of screen time than anything Pirates did. So maybe Pirates, I would agree. Mm. Yeah. I think I knew what I was getting into with Pirates, same as you. I was like, I knew it was mm. going to be crap and it was, it was crap. And it was exactly what I expected it to be. Mm. I was like, yeah. Whereas The Mummy could have been more fun than it was. So I think I was more disappointed by The Mummy, but there was probably more to like than there was in Pirates. So, yeah. yeah. Sure. Cool. So I guess that wraps up our roundup of 2017, unless you've got any other thoughts you want to share. Oh, no, that's it. Um, um, epic. Oh, crikey, we've done it. Cool. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to us all year, actually. It's yeah, because really... obviously this is our first year. So yeah. Obviously. Yeah, and uh, that's been a blast. Yeah, it's been really fun. And I'm looking forward to many more. It's been great. Yeah. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening. We'll what, be back uh, in... what does 2018 have in whole in store? My choice. Your choice, yep. So we'll be kicking 2018 off with a Harry choice. Um, uh, tell us about it. Yeah, I wanted to do something a little bit different because, you know, first one back in the new year. And I realised we've not actually done an entirely animated film. Okay. We did uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but that's pretty much it. So this time I've picked Wally. Oh, okay. The Pixar film. Have you seen it? I have. I've seen it in bits. I've never sat down and watched it start to finish. So, should be interesting. Yeah, I think I've seen the intro to it, but I've never actually watched it all the way through. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good choice. Strong, solid choice. So, yeah, please join us in 2018. First for Wally, and then throughout the year for more fantastic sequels for standard movies. So yeah. Thank you for staying with us, and we hope that you've enjoyed this little departure from our usual format. And, yeah, we will see you on the other side. So, uh, if you like the show, I should say, do the spiel. Uh, yeah, you've been completely missing your outro here. You're I know. Saying, so. And thank you. When thank you. Uh, yeah. So, if you like the show, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, all good podcasting platforms. Just search Beyond the Box Set. And if you really like us, hit subscribe, and you'll get a new episode every Friday morning. Uh, you can also leave us a review, which really helps us to find new listeners, which we do appreciate. If you have any ideas for films you'd like us to cover in the future, or if you just want to say hello to us, or just get in touch or connect, or anything you like, or pitch some sequel ideas of your own, maybe, you can find us on all good social media platforms. Again, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Google+, Plus, all good social media. Just, again, search Beyond the Box set and get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, so until the new year, it's uh, goodbye from me. 
And uh, yeah, yeah, goodbye. I didn't want to say it's goodbye from me. No, it's a bit cheesy. Uh, <laughs> until the new year, and bye. See you later. Bye. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, indeed. <laughs>